1: Listen to The Deal.
0: Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of our childhood, the voice of wrestling, in fact, the Hall of Famer himself, the man under the black hat, Mr. Jim Ross JR. How are you, man? I'm good. Conrad. Uh, I'm good. How are you, buddy? Man, better than I deserve. Well, I guess that's not exactly true. We lost our man this weekend. Tua is down.
1: Yeah. I hate to hear that. I saw uh, the highlight of that. It was just, I couldn't believe it was such a devastating injury. It didn't look like it was that devastating, but obviously it was. And anytime you lose your starting quarterback and arguably the, the best quarterback in the game, in the college game. I know there's people that take exception to that. You know, the guys at Clemson and LSU, and even your guy, Jalen Hurts, is now out here with us in Oklahoma. Uh, I think, two is the best quarterback in the game. And it's just this damn shame that it ended this way for him this year. And so, what do you do now?
0: Well, we limp along. We got a backup quarterback that we're pretty proud of. And uh, he's got a scrub team this week, and he's got uh, Auburn next week. So, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, disappointment all around, but no disappointment last week in Nashville. I had a great time at the AEW show, uh, shout out to Raphael Morphy for the hookup. Me and my friends had a f- tremendous time there. And then we scooted on down to Zanies, me, you and Tony Schiavone and man, that's, uh, that's about as fun as it gets for a Wednesday night. Am I right?
1: Yeah, we had a great time and I appreciate all the fans turning out, joining us. Uh, gosh almighty. We were, we tried to give everybody their money's worth. I think we, we ended up leaving the building about two in the morning. So, uh, leaving the venue. Folks here at Sandy's are always nice. They're just wonderful hosts, great place to go watch comedy and, and uh, things that we do. So good stuff. And by the way, I don't want to leave out – I'm sorry about the Alabama thing. And I I I think I still think a one-loss Alabama is probably going to make it to the playoffs. Unfortunately, I'm not so sure that's the case with the way things are lining out for my Sooners, who had a phenomenal come-from-behind win on the road against an undefeated team, a ranked team in Baylor. Uh, and I just saw the way it was set up. I told some friends, this is said, man, the best, the best bet on the, on college football this weekend is Oklahoma giving, I'll take, excuse me, taking Baylor plus 10. Uh, and <clears throat> as it turned out, it was that, that bet work would have worked, but man, oh man. Uh, I don't know that even though I think my seniors can run the table, I don't know if they will, I think they can, but even winning the big 12, I think with their, with how our conference is perceived on a national basis. Not anywhere in the same conversation with the SEC. Obviously, uh, I don't know that we're going to make it with one loss and a, and a conference champion. We might. We'll see. And here's the other ironic thing: if they have a New Year's Day bowl, guess where I'm going to be? Jacksonville, doing a- Florida. Doing TV or AEW, so I'm going to miss that bowl game if we have one on <clears throat> on January first. But yeah, uh, it'll be fun. Nice trade-off. It's good to be working. It's good to be working. And I'm I'm uh, but I'm still going to pull for my boys. Let's get going
0: with why we're here, we're getting our way back machine to November 19th from the U S air arena in Landover, Maryland, but we're going all the way back to 1995 for the survivor series. There's 14,500 fans in the building. About 12,500 of those paid a gate of around a quarter million dollars. And there's a point eight five bar rate for roughly $1.4 million in revenue. We should mention, as we're sort of setting the table for the show, we're coming off In Your House Four, where the British Bulldog will get his first world title shot on pay per view. And he actually picks up a win over Diesel, but it's by DQ. So, 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 of course, the world title doesn't change hands on a DQ. Diesel is going to retain. Bret Hart does a run in here and attacks the Bulldog, which causes the DQ. And then Bret and Diesel fight, which leads to the Survivor Series 95 main event. And the reason we're here Diesel versus Brett for the title. You know, this is the first time you've probably watched this show in a long time. You've talked about that before, JR, that that's one of the fun things you enjoy about our podcast is it forces you to go back and check out your work and see what the product was like at the time. And obviously in this, uh, rat rat race, that is professional wrestling. You're just on to the next thing. So when you went back and you watched this show for the first time in a long time, were you surprised that the main event was Bret Hart and diesel?
1: At that time, no, Uh -uh. at that time I was not. You know, diesel had been the champion for a long, long time. The longest reign, uh, in, uh, the nineties, I think for WWE, uh, and you know, uh, Vince had a lot of confidence in Kevin, uh, and Kevin got a great rub and put on the radar by Shawn Michaels being Shawn's heater. So no, it, it felt, it fit the story. I remember vividly that day talking about the match with the guys. I don't think that Kevin was overwhelmed by losing with a small package, but we talked about that, you know, it's just, I said, it's just a, it's a one, two, three and a half and you're out and you know, surprise and your legs are tied up. I said, it is logical. I said, and we'll sell it that way as well. So you'll be protected in that, in that sense. And that's not the first conversation I've had talents about a finish and them being a little bit uncertain of it. And will I be represented and protected, uh, in, in my losing effort and obviously the goal for all of us storytellers is to protect the talent and hence get them over as best we can. So it didn't surprise me that the booking was there. I'm just glad that we had a finish, unlike the, the benign finish that we had with Bulldog and Diesel, which only was done that way to set up Brett and Diesel and have a little bit more of a piece of that uh, Bulldog-Brett story. So what a surprise, Conrad, uh, but I know a lot of folks thought the match would not deliver, and I think it pleasantly did.
0: No, I would agree. I think it's arguably diesel's best match you would ever have. We're going to talk about that soon enough, but what I wanted to talk about was, you know, for better or worse, it feels like diesel is almost one of the forgotten champions of the WWF because whenever you hear people talk about his run, you hear them say things like, oh, he's the lowest drawing champion in history and you know, they don't talk about his run nearly as, as lovingly as they do brent hart's runs or Shawn michaels runs it's almost like his is the one that maybe the company wasn't proud of for whatever reason or the so-called experts have decided to pan i wanted to dig into the numbers a little bit and just take a look and see where we were year over year your average attendance in november of 94 3230 fans were down 0.9 percent for November of 95 down to 3,200 fans. So if you're keeping score, there's 30 less people in the building on average. Now your gate is actually up from November of 94. You're averaging 48,700 bucks in November of 95. It's 51,120 dollars. Again, not a phenomenal difference, but it is up 5%. And ratings are down just a little bit from a 1.9 in November of 94 to a 1.7 in November of 95 roughly 10% down there, when you, you hear things like, well, diesel's the worst drawing champion in history. Is that really fair? I mean, we've talked about that before here on the show that sometimes when, you know, for whatever reason, the product isn't drawing old school folks are quick to jump on and say, well, it's the champ he's, he's on top and he's not drawing, but that's not always fair. Would you agree?
1: Oh, absolutely, and not fair in this case either. I mean, if you're just going by numbers, there's a lot. There's then it might be. I don't know. I didn't. I haven't done the math. But the, who was drawing at that time? Who was hot in that mid '90s period? Hence, why we were trying to reshuffle our deck, and 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 retool and get new talents, new faces, and and heels. Uh, obviously, new people. So uh, no, I don't think it was. Uh, I think that's an overstatement about Kevin's drawing situation, uh, he was not Kevin was kind of a polarizing guy, either on, you're either on the one side of the fence and he, and he enjoyed being around him. He liked his company, uh, enjoy talking with him, hanging out like me, or there were some guys that didn't like him because they thought he had uh, ulterior motives or he had a selfish uh, agenda, whatever it may be. And the fact that he was not a traditional, uh, champion. He was a, he was a champion, uh, that was a, an attraction being a seven footer. Uh, he was an attraction kind of guy and not to be seen on a regular basis. We probably overexposed him. And so sometimes you know, about these guys that didn't talk about the guys that didn't draw sometimes, you know, they can't wrestle by themselves. They can't do this alone. So sometimes it might be the fact that, well, Kevin Nash may not have drawn as much as blank. But he also didn't have as good opponents as blank, uh, in his title reign.
0: Let's keep it moving here. Let's talk about your old pal, Bill Watts, October 13th, a busy day in the company here, he's been in here less than three weeks. At this point, he was told he'd be in full control of the creative aspects of the company and now he quits. Um, we've talked a lot about your relationship with bill
1: over the years. Before Everybody me. has Conrad. Everybody's got the answer to this deal. Oh, your man, your guy, your pal, your whatever. It's always the same shit for me. Uh, you know, I got nailed in WCW because of my relationship with Bill. It wasn't fair to me, wasn't fair to anyone else. But that's the whole I've I've lived with this my entire career. Was Bill Watts my mentor and did he help me a lot along the way? You damn right. I'm very proud and, and thankful for it. But you know, did I did I mirror his management techniques? Uh, I did not, did I, but, but I take the knowledge he taught me and, along with other guys, uh, and using my, my work, you damn right. I did because he was a brilliant teacher, but he was one of those teachers that where you would, you, we've had all we have people like this in our lives, do as I say, not as I do, because sometimes his managerial tactics and strategies were not uh, team friendly, player friendly, more specifically, but I love Bill I still love Bill. He's living in, living in the Ozarks now, moved from Florida back up to the Ozarks somewhere in Missouri. I think he's looking for Bigfoot. I'm not sure if he finds If Cowboy finds Bigfoot, Bigfoot, and he can make a couple of bucks. Bigfoot's ass is gone. I can just say that right now. Bigfoot's a, he's a cowboy. Don't do no jobs, even in the Ozarks. But I, I, I have to clarify that because I, it seems like sometimes I get married to Bill's, uh, deficiencies that are perceived by others. And so I must be just like him and I'm not so there.
0: Wow, I like that we're red ass JR first thing in the morning. Here's what I wanted to know, though, specifically talk to me about how he comes into the company. You know, this is an era where Vince is certainly looking for answers. We've talked on something to wrestle about the whole, you know, uh, Jarrett situation, but now we're trying Bill Watts. Is this, uh, is this uh, a Jim Ross idea or how does this no, come to be? No, no,
1: no, it's not a Jim Ross idea. And, and, and I had no idea that Vince was even talking to Cowboy. Uh, you know, uh, and I'm glad I didn't, I didn't want to influence it. I would have wanted to influence the decision one way or another, because at some point you have to think, well, I wonder since Bill's WCW tenure, if he has changed enough to play better with others, he was used to being the captain of the ship, the captain, the first officer, everything. And so playing with others in a corporate world. It's something that he was not accustomed to. He failed at it miserably in WCW. Could he correct those ills and and have a favorable experience in WWE? And I think we, we know the answer to that deal, but I, I applaud Vince because it was a bold move. I don't know that Bill ever had really had control of creative or was even promised the role of full control of creative. Don't know that that's what has gone on for years in your, your proverbial rumor and innuendo. I can't imagine Vince giving anybody complete control of creative under any circumstance. He didn't do it. Then he's not doing it now and he never will do it. So, uh, but I was surprised that he came in and, uh, when, when Vince, Vince, even came to me and said, are you okay with this deal in the sense that your decision will not make me change my mind, but I do want you to know what's coming and I want to make sure you're happy with it just so you'll be aware out of respect. And I, and I was sure I was cool with it. If it helped us draw money helped the big picture, then hell yeah, let's go with it. But it didn't work that way.
0: Let's talk about that. You know, when you uh, carry me through, Bill Watts shows up at Titan tower one day. Is that the first time <laughs> you have a conversation with him about it? Or do y'all talk on the phone in advance of his showing up to work?
1: I think we talked, I don't think we talked in advance. It just wasn't that way. It just wasn't a, you know, I don't have, I had a great rapport with Bill when we were together. But, you know, he got tired of the wrestling business. I think he was tired of the wrestling business when he took the WCW job. I think he was burned out in the wrestling business when he took the WWE job. I think more than anything, it was a nice fat payday and a chance to get his toe back in the water to see how it feels. I don't think the water felt good for him. Uh, it, it didn't get him committed or fired up. You know, uh, he did some good things. Uh, he, he has some positive remarks to some talents, uh, you know, helped to, to motivate some talents. But, but you know, I, I just it was it didn't work. It just time had passed him by. He didn't have the patience to deal with the the demographic and the age group of a lot of the talents. And a lot of the talents were leery of him because they knew that you could not bullshit a bullshitter. He was going to give strong management, he was gonna run the ship and a very tight a tight ship at that, and his team was gonna come first. And a lot of guys who are more individualistic and more egocentric were, were uncomfortable with that philosophy. For better
0: or worse, when you say, um, individualistic and, and maybe egotistic, when you're talking to using those type of descriptors, I think a lot of people are going to naturally assume, well, he's talking about the clicks, Scott Hall, Shawn Michaels, Kevin Nash. Are we far off?
1: No, but it, but not just them. It's fun to talk about them because they were the lightning rod. They were the big personality guys that, that uh, had these intelligence to influence their own careers through Vince, their relationship with, with Vince. But it wouldn't have mattered. He he was going to be that way to everybody. That's, that was a good thing about it. He managed pretty uh, pretty even keel there, but he wanted change. And he, he was saying things that guys did not want to hear. You're not over. You're not selling tickets. So we got to fix this. And a lot of guys, well, I just need more time. Or I need this. Or I need that. Instead, looking in the mirror and say, you're right, Bill. I got to, I got to re-shine my game. I got to put some new stuff in. I got, I got to reinvent myself much like Chris Jericho has done among others. And John Moxley among others uh, at AEW now, but that's where we were with him. And, and, uh, but so the click was the click knew this. They weren't that damn upset about it because they had their relationship with Vince, uh, cemented. So it wouldn't matter mattered who Vince brought in. They were going to still have their relationship with Vince. And I used to tell Talman this: the biggest relationship you have in this company to build upon is your relationship with the boss period. Not me, not the, not an agent, not a producer, not anybody, not a talent, one guy, so that should make it easy for you to understand how you're going to be successful here, cooperate and, 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 and fit in with Vince's mantras and his philosophies. Cowboy really wasn't willing to do that.
0: Scott Meltzer's report. He says that the. September 24th, pay-per-view event in Saginaw, Michigan McMahon had announced at a team meeting that Watts would be in charge of the creative aspects of the Titan sports business saying he was stepping back to act more as a company executive and that while he would oversee Watts, he wouldn't overrule him. It only took a few weeks before Watts apparently taking those words seriously was overruled and feeling he wouldn't have the authority he expected quit the company after a week filled with rumors about the fraying relationship between the 56 year old Watts and McMahon. Rumor started in midweek that Watts had left the company after a blow up with McMahon, which were immediately denied within the WWF apparently earlier in the week, perhaps on Tuesday, since that's the day the company does voiceovers for syndication, there was a blowup involving Watts and another company employee, not involving McMahon. who was busy doing television, announcing voiceovers for syndication over his office, not being ready.
1: Well, part of that situation, I think the, uh, the company person there was probably, uh, Lisa Wolf, who, uh, uh, the, the HR lady who was, had a, a somewhat a, a maligned uh, tenure there, uh, not real popular. Maybe HR people aren't popular. I don't know, uh, as a, in general, uh, but they Bill's office as I recall was like, uh, first and, and Bruce might be able to remember this better than I on the second floor with no windows. And I thought he felt, I think he felt kind of pissed off that he was given such a low entry level, an office that you'd give a, uh, you know, uh, what do you call those? Uh, volu- not volunteers, a, an intern, uh, mm-hmm. in, intern, a, a, a fucking, uh, <laughs> uh, booth, or not a booth, a, 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 just a, just a little stall. Anyway, it wasn't for his role, allegedly to be Vince's number one guy. It was kind of an insult. So I think he saw the handwriting on the wall. He blamed it on Lisa Wolf, but I don't remember Bill ever telling me one time. And look, Jan and I had cowboy over at the house a time or two to, she cooked him a nice home cooked meal. Uh, and that's kind of the person she was and, uh, to encourage him and make him feel more comfortable there. Uh, but he, he was, uh. He, I don't know. He, I don't remember him ever telling me, Conrad, that oh, he and Vince had this big fight and all that. He was upset that Vince was not as hard on the talent as Bill thought he should be, and that the, the our structure was a little lax, that we weren't pushing a talent to get better, and we weren't giving other talents uh, an opportunity to quote unquote get over. And some of the things Bill said were absolutely on the money, uh, but he was, uh, he just had a his communication skills sometimes. Uh, were brought out the old cowboy, and in that generation, uh, with the way these guys are brought in, and there weren't territory guys, a lot of them, uh, then all of a sudden, uh, cowboy's teachings and his philosophy uh, was a little bit, uh, didn't was not taken well, he was too heavy handed in the eyes of a lot of people.
0: Meltzer would finish the rumors quickly spread both in and out of wrestling that Watts was gone, and according to those close to the situation that Watts had quit, but was quickly talked out of it by others saying it was simply a disagreement and not involving McMahon in any way. Either way, Watts was still working on Wednesday and Thursday before officially quitting on Friday after a meeting with McMahon. Do you think the straw that broke the camel's back was the office or do you think it was maybe a disagreement with the way some of the talent should have been handled? What was the, the final straw? Do you know?
1: I, I don't know for sure. I'm thinking probably knowing bill. It was the fact that he was looking at the house show grosses. He was looking at the television shows. He had attended some live events. He didn't see the magic that we needed. And so therefore, when that happens, uh, if you had it in a territory days, you got a new booker, new bookers are brought in to mix things up, to change things up because what we're currently doing isn't working. What we were currently doing at that time was not working. It was not selling tickets. We didn't great we were not get, getting great television, uh, ratings. So cowboy looked at all the all the measurables and decided that it's time for changes to be made, and new talent should be given opportunities to uh, fill those top slots and freshen up the pre- presentation of our product. Uh, but the talents had issues with that; they always do. And the ones that were close to the old man were going to the old man and saying, "Well, he's he's behind the times. He's too old school. He's too he's too uh, you know abrasive. Blah blah blah." In other words, they're covering their ass, and to and to to, uh, to their defense, sometimes Bill wasn't. Uh, I mean, oftentimes, he was not uh, a good communicator in that regard because it wasn't the old mid south, it wasn't his company, it wasn't he was the final final cho- uh, voice. He was never the final voice. He was never in charge of creative, but uh, in, but he was given the false pretense or hope that he was, but he wasn't. And then when he found out that he wasn't. And when Cowboy wanted to change some titles or move some guys around and it got vetoed, he knew that the jig, you know, was up, we're done. So, uh, and I, the funny part about that deal is when he left, uh, I didn't know what he was, I didn't know he was leaving. Uh, he didn't confide in me. I'm, I'm leaving. I can't handle this stuff, whatever. Uh, I know he, they had a rental car for him at, uh, in, in Connecticut for those few weeks, he was there. He had a company rental rental car and I think corporate uh, apartment or something. I was never there. Uh, so he drove the rental car from Stanford to Oklahoma. And, uh, I thought it was kind of funny cause he could have packed his stuff and then have moved his stuff home for him and he could have flown home first class, uh, but he decided to drive the rental car loaded with his stuff. I could only imagine like the Clampus and the opening of the Clampus that are heading back to, they're going to Beverly Hills, you know, got all their stuff packed in their car. Uh, but that was kind of like the cowboy. He, he, he was defiant. He should have fit in real well with the, uh, with the talents that were defiant and, and, and uh, had these strong egos because he did, he always did. He did in the sixties. He did in the seventies. He was them before they were them, but they couldn't handle him. And so it's, it's, it's something has got to go. It's like, uh, it's like this Conrad uh, and these, and a lot of these NFL teams need to replace coaches right now. So what's easier to do is it easier to think, and they got some player issues. Is it easier to replace all your players or your coach? So obviously we know the answer. The coach. The coach goes, players stay. You bring in another guy who who you hope can light a fire and get people in different positions to win games. But Cowboy didn't didn't he didn't want to wait around for that opportunity.
0: Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Hey man, let me give you a little life hack just in time for Mother's Day and Father's Day. I'm talking about paintyourlife.com. That's the place where you can get a gift that mom or dad will never forget. Real quick, do you remember what you got mom or dad last year for Mother's Day or Father's Day? Well, here's how you give a gift that they'll never forget. You find something that's meaningful, something that's personal. Maybe we're talking about their mom or dad who's no longer here. Maybe it's about a long lost relative. Maybe it's about their favorite pet who's no longer with us. Maybe there was always this dream that mom and dad were going to vacation to some exotic tropical island, but they never quite made it there. Well, all of those dreams can become reality at paintyourlife.com. You simply upload those photos. You can even use a photo right out of your phone. They can even help you combine photos to create one unique memory. You'll pick the artist. You'll even pick the medium. Hey, do you want an oil acrylic watercolor charcoal? You can even pick the frame. The whole process is less than five minutes to get started. You can get it in as little as two weeks, but along the way you work hand in hand to ensure that the artist is nailing it. They're getting exactly what you wanted. And you're going to get that reaction you wanted for mom or dad. I'm telling you, this has been a home run for me. I've used it for my mom, for my dad, for my father-in-law, for my cousin, for my wife. It's great for any occasion. But with Mother's Day and Father's Day right around the corner, how do we show the people who gave us everything that we really care? I don't think you can beat a meaningful gift like this from PaintYourLife.com. And if you're looking to give the best and most meaningful gift you've ever given, PaintYourLife.com can hook you up. And there's no risk if you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. You can get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. Now to get this special offer, just text the word ROSS to 87204. That's ROSS to 87204. Text R-O-S-S to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com terms for details. Talk to me a little bit about you know, how you find out, I mean, you said that he didn't, he didn't call you. So I guess a lot of people have, uh, as you pointed out at the top of this discussion, miscategorized your relationship with him. You find out when you go back into the office the next day and does Vince call you and say, well, cowboys out.
1: Vince called me and said, you know, Bill's no longer with us. He said, I thought it would work. I thought it was a good idea. I would do it again. If I had a chance, but it just didn't work. He, he, Bill could not work in that environment. He had to have total autonomy, total autonomy, and he, he couldn't get it. And, uh, and that probably was a good thing, quite frankly. But yeah, I, I have, I still, I don't want anybody to get mis- misunderstand my relationship with the cowboy. I love bill Watts. He's always, I would not be where I am today. I would not have the career I've had in my life and it's still ongoing. if It hadn't been for bill, but sometimes in a managerial point of view, uh, we can be left behind managerially. In other words, you still, the older we get, and I see this all the time in my EW experiences, I'm dealing with a lot of real young, inexperienced talent who's, who are very impressionable, who need leadership and someone to help play it forward for them. And that's one of the things I'm there for, is uh, to help these kids play it forward and, and to, live the, to have a great career, become stars on our team. And so Cowboy wasn't willing to, to go that far with it. I like coaching. I like the. I have patience to do those things, but uh, he had run out of patience because he was burnt out on the business. He was coming off a bad marriage, and that helps no one. Uh, not there's not anybody listening here that can identify with somebody in their life that has gone through a bad marital experience that has not affected that person to some degree. And I think Cowboy was like the rest of us. Sometimes the fallout is, is a heartbreaker.
0: Well, let's talk about something else that's going on that same day. I can't believe this is real. October 13th, Shawn Michaels was beat up outside of a bar in Syracuse. And depending on what story you believe, it's been said it was nine military guys or just one. Uh, Jim Cornette has said that uh, Shawn Michaels was allegedly hitting on a guy's girlfriend or wife. And when Sean and Bulldog got in their car to leave, the serviceman pulled Sean out from the passenger side window and beat him up. And Davey's so big at the time that the passenger seat was pushed back. He's essentially trapped in the back seat and can't get out. When do you first hear about this? And and where did you land on it? Once you knew more of the details.
1: The next day I heard about it, you know, you're concerned that somebody was hurt and hospitalized or whatever. It sounded like, uh, some people were over served and uh, may have made the wrong comments, the wrong people. I don't know. I, I wasn't there. Uh, and, and there's so many stories that emulate that's a, that's one of these sicknesses about wrestling. The truth is never good enough. We have to embellish and make it, make it a big deal. I think we're used to it in our, in our day to day pro wrestling acumen to, to embellish. I, I don't know what happened. I, I think it was a, simply a case of guys drinking too much, being on the wrong territory. I know cowboy was not happy about it because there's his, his old antiquated rule that if you lose a fight in the territory, you're gone. Was the Mid-South rule. It was not a rule in uh, WWE, uh, and nor should it have been at that time. Times have changed. Times had changed. So, but bill didn't like the fact that that happened and that a guy so highly uh, on the card and, and look, bill had great respect for Sean. He started Sean, his career in mid South. So there's no, and there was no personal animosities there. It is the philo- the philosophy of a pro wrestler lo- losing a fist fight to a civilian is unacceptable. A. If you don't think you can win the fight, then somehow or another, don't engage. And but as I've always told the guys, pick your spots on where you hang out. Going to a, a local bar and trying to become the alpha male in somebody else's bar in another city you don't live in is not real smart. Uh, you're 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 safer going to a, a, a gentleman's club, quite frankly, because they have more security for the for the ladies, more security. So it was a lot of lot of. Not a lot of, there was a lot of wins on a scorecard, uh, but I know Cowboy didn't like that start for his run and thought, you know, that we can't have guys getting their ass whipped and all this other stuff and made a big deal out of it. What I thought all along since it since was a case of wrong place, wrong time, too many drinks, you can't be the alpha male in somebody else's bar who's already got that territory marked.
0: So do you think. How big of a role? I mean, do you think this is the straw that broke the camel's back? This is the way? No,
1: okay. shit, no, hell no. I think well, I think what happened is, I I I I think Vince wanted to make some major booking changes, which would have started at the top, which would have included Diesel, uh, at, because Diesel was a champion, right? I mean, he was a he was a WWE champion, it had been for a long time, and Bill's just saying, well, it's not been drawn. it's time to make a change. I don't think it was a, a major indictment personally on Kevin Nash. Is this no matter who the champion was, if it, somebody had been champion that long and the territory kind of, had kind of flattened out, uh, then it's time to make a change. Uh, and the change could also be doing a better job of creating opponents for your champion. You know, we, we talked about, uh, Austin, uh, had the same issue where he wanted, you know, I, I was just working on our book this weekend and uh, writing a, doing a chapter about Steve's uh, discomfort. And unhappiness, uh, and the fact that the company failed him miserably by not having any heels ready for him and then wanting to lose out of the clear blue to Brock Lesnar and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get all this stuff. But point being is that sometimes it's not the talents, all the talents fault. that something is sucking they can't, They don't do this shit a cappella. So that, you know, I, I thought that, uh, and as we'll talk about here in a few moments, uh, I thought Brett was the perfect opponent for Kevin. Kevin had a certain style and talents had to be willing to uh, adapt to Kevin what Kevin did well and stay away from what Kevin did not do well like anybody would in a, in a wrestling match in, in then or now
0: Initially talking about the Shawn Michaels situation Shawn and the WWF nobody's pressing charges they just want it to go away uh, of course, they do have to go on TV and say that they're going to press charges. And eventually, Shawn Michaels does change his mind and press charges. The person who's charged is a, a fellow named Douglas Griffith, who's 23 at the time. He's charged with second degree assault and the beating. He's supposed to go to court uh, on December 14th. He is uh, stationed at Fort Drum, the U.S. Army base in Watertown, New York. And uh, the gist is he pulls Sean out of the car. Slams his uh, car door into his head, and then slams his head onto the car several times before Davy Boy can finally escape and make
1: escape the, the back escape the back seat. Escape the back seat. Does that does that make you scratch your head a little bit? He got stuck in the back seat. What the goddamn? What is he in a Fiat? What do you mean he got stuck in the back seat?
0: Supposedly he was a he was in a two seater, and I can't believe they would have rented a two seater. But supposedly he was in a two seater, and as you said, probably overserved. This is an era. Of the company, where guys weren't just drinking; they were also using somas and other uh, things that you probably shouldn't be mixing with alcohol. So he's probably not in a normal state of mind. And I, I, you know, I'm not saying that to speak ill of the dead. I'm just saying that was sort of the norm at the time. That you know, you you see old shoot interviews with these guys, and they're talking about somas and soma shakes and H uh, bombs, which was their code for halcyon, and GHB was becoming more prominent. There's a lot of recreational drug use mixed in with the visit to the bar. And it's probably not a good combination for anybody.
1: No, exactly. Right. Uh, and I think probably the wrestling business in general, even though we lost so many talents, husbands were husbands, died, sons died. Fathers died for stupidity for being thinking they're bulletproof. Ain't nobody bulletproof folks. And if you're one of the, and I'm, I'm so glad that the business is, does the business need more cleaning up? I probably does, but, but so does society. So does society. I mean, what mental illness, uh, made, uh, miles Garrett go nuts. I don't know what it was, but sure as hell wasn't normal behavior. When the Cleveland Brown guy starts swinging his helmet around like an idiot. Uh, but the, his situation It cost him millions of dollars because he's, he's not, he's not going to play anymore this year. It screwed his team because of his, 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 uh, his temper. But yeah, man, I, I just, something I'm glad the business is cleaned up from. That was a very tumultuous era, and the WWE, we had to clean things up as best we could and somebody's going to roll their eyes. Yeah, but it didn't work. No bullshit. It did work. It did work because our hiring process changed. The drug testing policies changed. And uh, we did a we did a we went from zero to 60 very quickly here, so to speak, in this uh, in this re, re, in rehabilitating our program. So uh, I'm glad that we that happened. But, man, we were on a bad, bad course. And that's what I think, Watts' the situation was. The, a lot of the boys knew fun and games were going to be over when the cowboy got in town because he's not going to take the bullshit. He's not going to listen to the excuses. Tell me why we're not drawing and tell me what you're going to do about it.
0: Let's keep it moving and let's talk about something else that Meltzer is writing at the time. Oh, I guess we should put a bow in the Shawn Michaels thing. When Shawn catches this beating, he's the intercontinental champion, but of course he winds up forfeiting the title to Dean Douglas and then Razor Ramon would beat Dean to win the intercontinental title that same night.
1: Now, now that was kind of set up that didn't do Dean Douglas any favors. Nope. Uh, Shane Douglas, the Dean, he's a smart guy. Uh, he talked a lot about his education becoming a doctor or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and all, all admirable, quite frankly., uh, but he was not popular in the locker room. The clique didn't like Dean Douglas. for whatever reason, somewhere along the way, he pissed at somebody's Cheerios. And uh, so consequently he was he he was set up to fail, seemingly to me. Uh, you know we thought he had he, his work was solid. He had a good run for Paul Heyman and ECW. Uh, he had become a really good uh, talker, viable heel. Uh, didn't get the opportunity that I think that he deserved because uh, he was on the quote unquote wrong side of the effing aisle. And uh, so he never had a shot. He never had a chance. So uh, that was a sad, sad scenario that he was not able to beat Sean and and win the title the right way instead of this. And here's the thing. Well, we're going to protect Sean by not having to lose. Really, quite frankly, does it really make a shit after all these years? Did, did it really matter, folks? Did it really matter that Sean didn't do the job, and he, and he had his injuries, quote unquote, uh, prevented him from defending the title, which it was rarely enforced that stipulation? And did it really matter after all these years? Yeah, I that. Boy, if Sean had, if he'd lost the title, that on that to deal to Dean Douglas, that would have killed his career. Come on, come on. The talents are that way too. Oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do. How going to how am I going to save face? Because you save face by learning to fucking work. And bust your ass and make it good. How's that? It takes three seconds to lose. Can you can you orchestrate a great match and give me three seconds that I'm looking for, and then we continue on? Of course you can, if your ego will allow it. And a lot of guys' ego wouldn't allow it. Protection. It also showed their muscle to the old man because they go to the boys in secret down in the locker room. Well, I, Sean didn't want to do the job. He just told Vince he "We're going to do it." <laughs> okay, good, uh, good. Well, now you're well, your senior class. Uh, walking down the hall with the ninth graders, big, big shots. Good for you. Let's talk briefly about something that a row
0: here. Some of you may have read about a lab in Switzerland, developing the first test for HGH, the drug athletes have been using to gain strength advantages while still circumventing drug testing. The New York times broke the story two weeks ago that HGH testing could begin in time for the next Olympics. The IOC for apparently political reasons, isn't accepting the test as of yet. So it probably won't be implemented until after the Olympics in Atlanta. Too bad. These guys never talked with Vince McMahon. Vince told me his doctors had developed a test to detect HGH back in 1991. And then again in 92, because he had a foolproof drug policy, despite it being common knowledge there was, and for that matter, still isn't anything such possible. Um, HGH, something we don't talk about a lot here on the show for whatever reason, steroid has always been the buzzword. Um, when do you first remember hearing about human growth hormone in the professional wrestling business?
1: Oh God, I don't even, it just seemed like it's been around for, for so many years. I don't remember the origins of it, probably in the, in the eighties, I'm guessing maybe the nineties, but it's been around a long time It's a bodybuilder thing, uh, HGH is designed to uh, create uh, bone density. So a lot of the talents would say, "Well, you know, I, the only reason I'm taking it is to make my bones more dense, so I can, I can take more bumps and all the right reasons, all the right BS." They were doing it to make their muscles bigger, and to help them recover. Uh, uh, that's their deal. Recover. I don't know what they're recovering from exactly, but they're recovering from a lot of things. Pa- apparently, the catch-all was uh, HGH. So. Uh, I, it's been around forever in that regard. I know that the first people that I remember talking, learning about it, that the drug was primarily created to give to older people to create bone density so that the quote-unquote uh, plethora of broken hips would lessen, broken body, broken bones. Uh, but then you find out that there's a lot more uses for it, uh, and so, and I, I know I've got friends of mine. I've never tried it. I've got friends of mine that that are on it. Now That's civilians on HGH, they want to look better. They want to feel stronger. Uh, they work out hard, they can recover quicker. And I think it just gives them, it makes them feel better. So, uh, I don't think it's a euphoric thing. I just think that they, they have to lift more, lift more, more, and, and all those things. So, but it's been around Conrad for, for years and years and years and was originally not as until it was used as a bodybuilding thing, uh, people, uh, uh, you know, were were uh, didn't know what it was, you know, they thought it was a, it didn't know what it was for, but when the, when the real reasons came out, it became, uh, pretty, pretty prominent in the, in our world. We should
0: mention that, uh, we're here in 95. We're in the fall of 95 as we ease into winter. Nitro has now set the table. It's the Monday night war era. Let's just briefly talk about, you know, before we move on, how are you feeling? you know, two months in that they get launched, you know, early September. Here we are, you know, in, in the November, were you feeling like this was real competition business as usual? Did they pose a, a, a serious threat or were they still, at least in your mind's eye, you know, the, sort of the, the little brother of the world wrestling federation?
1: Well, I just thought that they, uh, I didn't, I didn't look at them as a little brother. I didn't look at them in any relation whatsoever. Uh, I looked at them as competition. And the fact that, uh, they had some talent, they certainly had the resources. If they're, if the, the tight fist of Turner upper management would let go of some of the money and they did, uh, that they had a chance to be very, very competitive and very profitable. And as they were at, at for a short period of time, I never took them lightly. I never took them for granted. Uh, but here's the thing. I said this before in the show, I had so much on my plate, man. I, I didn't have time to sit around and worry about the fucking a competition. Uh, and I am guilty. And I, even when the Seth Rollins thing and I made light and I try to be funny, and it wasn't that funny. It was funny for a while, uh, you know. And I'm glad we're selling some. You might be as over as your girlfriend someday, shirts, but you know, really, is it that big a deal? No, it is a big deal. But I had no time, man. And we had people in the company that loved to talk to the dirt, and they loved to. That's, that was a that was a big thing for them. You know, Howard Finkel was a big dirt guy, and we keep everybody abreast of what he's hearing or reading. Ed Cohen was another guy that kept up with the observer and so forth. But I, I didn't have time. It's not all oh, come on Jay. I didn't have the freaking time. We're doing TV two days a week or we're I'm managing, trying to help manage it. I think at that in 95, I think JJ was, uh, still in talent relations, but I was getting ready to be pushed to that, that post in some way, shape, form or fashion. So I didn't have time between payroll, the booking the talent work, all those things. I had no time to, to, to mire myself down and what somebody else is doing. Listen, folks, if you're in a competitive business, if you're if anything that you believe is competitive in your life that you cannot control, don't worry about it. Disconnect, disconnect and leave it behind because you can't, if you can't affect it, then then just cut the cord. And I, I was able to cut the cord because if I hadn't, I'd have gone crazy. It's just too much, too much on my plate that required my uh, focus. And so I didn't care. All I knew is, is that say, I told you this before. We got the ratings on Tuesday for those Monday night war shows. So everybody could get that and mill it over bitch moan, grumble, complain, what if all this stuff and nobody had the answer. We just got to keep chopping wood. We got to keep going. And, uh, and that, and that's how that worked. I just. It just wasn't that people said, "Oh, it got to be a big deal." Hey, look, we got our ass kicked 83 weeks in a row. How much more do you do I need to say about it? Yeah, we got our ass kicked 83 weeks in a row. Hey, hallelujah, Eric, you did a great job. But that's enough. I mean, okay, I got stuff to do here. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons.
0: Let's talk about a meeting that Vince McMahon had. This is directly from a report from Dave Meltzer. Vince had a surprise meeting with the wrestlers at the November 3rd house show in Cincinnati. Don't have much in the way of details, but it apparently was to combat the poor morale of late. With the cutting out of money losing B shows, a lot of paranoia has started and some of it is justified. With half as many shows, the mid card guys for the most part are going to work a lot less dates and make a lot less money. And underneath guys will, for the most part, have it even worse. Even the top of the card guys are concerned since they'll all be on the same show. The feeling is the money will be cut up in a manner where it's split with more top guys. So the top guys will be earning even less. The idea is that in the past, if you had undertaker and razor on one B show and Michael's heart and diesel on the a show, then none of them is ever more than three from the top. Now one of those guys is going to be five from the top, which is a much lower spot when it comes to money. The guys were also upset about several shows that either have been canceled or were canceled, which has, and would leave them on the road away from home in the middle of the tour for a day, making no money in the WWF wrestlers only get paid when they work a show. So if a mid card guy has got from 20 days down to six or eight, his income will go down 60 to 70%. Some guys are being cut down to dates, even worse. And there are guys who go a month without a booking and thus without any income whatsoever, however, the company can't go on running shows that lose money for the company. So wrestlers can have work. It's a tough spot to be in. This probably has as much or more to do with what bill Watts, frustrations were than anything else.
1: could have been, yeah, it could have been, uh, guys weren't carrying their load, they weren't carrying their load and and we weren't in a situation uh, like WWE is today, where guys are on salary because of the uh, enormous rights fee deals that uh, Vince has been able to negotiate with USA and Fox. So guys are, are in a different ballgame then. To the guys today, I don't know that how the grosses and the ticket sales, how much that affects their, their checks. But I do know that there's a plethora of gentlemen and ladies there that are making a, a tremendous amount of money and good for them. Uh, but it's not tied to the profitability of the shows that they're on. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a, that's a that's not a good thing, quite frankly. I, I like I like incentives. Uh, I like guys that can b- burst out of their comfort zone. But when you're making seven figures and you're getting it paid in a weekly check, so you got seven figures divided by 52. If it's if it's a million a year, you're making 19 thousand plus a week and cha- 19 grand in change a week now. So uh, it's it's a different it's a different model, uh, but they, something had to be done. Uh, the company is bleeding money. The company is bleeding money. And I used to tell the talents, this it's real simple, man, you work for a guy, uh, and you take his money Then you do what he needs to have done. If you believe you can't do that with a clear conscience, or it's not the best thing for you, then let's work out something for you to leave. No hard feelings, just, just cut the cord here. Uh, so we didn't, we needed, that's what cowboy wanted to do. He wanted to cut the cord with a lot of talents that I can recall and including making some changes at the top. Uh, to, to create a spark, and get people more interested in what we were doing. But of course, as I said earlier, uh, his, his mythology was a little bit abrasive.
0: You've heard the story of the click being on the road, making the call to Sean Michaels or the call to Vince McMahon to bitch Vince jumps on a plane and comes to them. Was that here in Cincinnati or was that Indianapolis? Or do you recall?
1: I think it was Cincinnati.
0: That's my question: Is when he says a surprise meeting here, it's like this has got to be the era where that happened. Do you remember hearing about this call from the click to to Vince McMahon?
1: Of course, heard about all the calls to Vince. JJ did too, uh, but yeah, it, it was a it was not a healthy situation. I don't know. I don't know how much more we got to talk about this thing, Andre. Quite frankly, the 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 click had a, a, a tremendous power. Because they made buddies with Vince, the booker, the head honcho can't be all the talents, best buddy. That shit does not work. It never will work. It hasn't worked. It ain't going to work now. So the consequently, I think that, uh, uh, you know, the, the click had power. N- they did any, th- they, they were not unlike any other entity that has had power with the booker that I was around from the seventies forward. Certain talents ingratiated themselves to the head creative decision maker. And they, and they, anybody that came in to challenge that role, that position, uh, sometimes, uh, had a very unpleasant tenure. And I think that's kind of what a lot of guys were. They thought the click had too much influence. And look, they're all stars. They're all hall of fame level guys. You can't, I will never, ever knock their ability to, uh, uh as stars and the careers that they had. But, but the, the inmates are running the asylum more often than not. And it wasn't healthy. It wasn't healthy. And so that's, it was more destructive than people can imagine at times. Let's talk
0: about somebody else. Who's uh, making a different decision. Waylon mercy. He's going to quit. That's would say. He was going nowhere and justifiably. So they had high hopes for him with the gimmick and gave it a big push, but physically he was through a long time ago. A lot of others are talking about leaving, but with the exception of a guy like Bam Bam Bigelow, who has a name in Japan, most of them have no option to actually make money in wrestling. If they leave actually in the case of Bigelow, he probably should go since he's being used as a stepping stone, even jobbing for Isaac Yank all weekend in preliminary bouts. Talk to us a little bit about Waylon mercy. You've known this, uh, the man behind the character for a long time. Were you surprised that he quit? Do you remember his frustrations?
1: Well, I don't know the frustrations is the reason he quit, Conrad. To be honest with you, we think that that's the rumor and innuendo. I think Danny Spivey, who played Waylon Mercy, and by the way, Waylon Mercy was one of my favorite uh, television personas that we ever featured there. Uh, it was believable. It was real. That uh, whole uh, you know uh, Max Katie thing, you know, was uh, was pretty cool. Uh, the what's it called? What was that movie? Uh, Came to Cape Fear, Cape Fear. Yeah. Great movie. Uh, Danny did a phenomenal job creating the persona of Waylon Mercy. His promos were money, his look was money, but Danny was but bro- Danny had same, the same I- issues that we had later on with Dr. Death, his body was just broken down from the uh, vaunted strong style of new Japan or, or Japan in general, all Japan, whatever all strong style. Here's what strong style does for you. It beats your ass down. It screws up your joints it, you get the shit beat out of you on a regular basis and with no time to recover in a business where shit's not supposed to be beaten out of you. It's supposed to be a little fictional. So I, I'm not a, I, I like, it's not saying I don't like Japanese wrestling. I do, but I think that the quote unquote strong style, whatever the fuck that definition is, is a little bit overrated, quite frankly. What does it mean? What does it mean? Does it mean you grab a, a arm bar harder? You throw clotheslines more stiff. You kick guys in the face. What does it mean? I don't know, but it's out there. And, uh, uh so, but Danny was beat up, man, but body was just, just body was, uh, uh, betraying him, but nobody worked harder to get a character over. Go back and look at some of those vignettes, man. They're, 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 they're good today, but Hugh just was not, it wasn't a matter of being created as much creatively frustrated as the fact that he was frustrated. Over the fact that he couldn't do the physical things that he used to do, but he, he Danny's Danny married uh, uh Ann Russo, who was in the talent relations department back when I first started. A wonderful lady who's helped so many talents with drug and alcohol issues, and they're still doing that today. So I got a lot of time and a lot of respect for Dan Spivey and, and his wife Ann. I saw him in an autograph thing not too long ago, uh, maybe back in the WrestleMania season, I'm not sure. Great seeing them, but they Danny was. Danny was a blessing for us. He was a mature guy. It's just, God dang it. It's just sad that we didn't get him five years earlier when he still had uh, more mobility in his hips and knees and so forth. Uh, wasn't so problematic.
0: Well, something else that's a little problematic is man mountain rock. Meltzer would say he's basically gone and working CWA in Europe, although he's still under contract and the deal was done through the office now. Yeah. You may remember man Mountain rock was also max payne in w c w before he came to the w w f uh what are your memories of uh of him and, and I'm sure you've seen this video that surfaced in more recent years where he's filming the boys behind the scenes and on a bus and it's not a good look for one of the
1: guys no, and it should never been done uh the guy's guy's guitar got him a job the world's largest rock and roll singer you know three hundred plus big big guy uh, nice enough kid but no 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 main event level charisma so him leaving was not a big loss we tried something it was a different presentation uh, I never had a lot of confidence in it to begin with personally it just it, it seemed like we were trying to force a square peg and a round hole type thing just didn't seem to fit on the level we were trying to get him uh, to so uh, but him leaving was not a didn't upset the apple cart too much a little there's money invested in his vignettes and so forth. But you know, Vince never, never accounted for that. Uh, that's just that those are just costs to go along. It's cost of doing business. you'd say,
0: Do did, you, did you ever see the video that surfaced? What did you think uh, of that?
1: Years ago? I saw it and forgot about it. But after I saw it, I didn't, I didn't think it was too cool. That's private time. I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, we trade the trust some of the guys. That's not, that's not no place in that. You know, when they have their private time, they should be left alone. I know that's hard today because everybody's got a camera. It wasn't so widespread at that time and uncalled for.
0: Let's talk about Adam bomb. Meltzer would say he's had an impasse with Titan. Um, quote Titan has decided against taking him back, but also hasn't released him from his contract. He's saying he's willing to start taking indie dates under the name, Adam bomb immediately. Uh, Adam bomb, not long for this world. What happened?
1: Oh, well, it, we, we thought he had, a, uh, he had a great look, obviously, uh, what the, the gimmick he was given was a little weak. I thought, you know, the, the, the contact lenses and all that stuff just didn't fit him in my view. Uh, I think he had a issue with, uh, uh, maybe his charisma level was not going to be commensurate with, uh, the spot on the card that, that Vince had envisioned for him at one time. So uh, the simple matter, he didn't get over, he didn't get himself over. I don't recall him having any, any issues other than simply he just didn't get over. Either the company didn't call the right place for him, had the right gimmick for him, or he didn't apply himself, for whatever the reasons. And everybody's going to say that have their own reason. It, he didn't get over. And so uh, and yes, you can cut that any way you want. That could be for a variety of reasons. He didn't get over. There's money spent on his, on his, on his uh, vignettes and so forth. The decision was made not to take this experiment, this creative experiment any farther, uh, and therefore he was, uh, eventually released.
0: It's a shame that, uh, Adam bomb didn't make it. He's one of those guys where it feels like he checks all the boxes. He looks like the prototype of a wrestler, but for whatever reason, it just never really
1: clicked. Yeah, you're right. And a nice guy, nice enough guy. Uh, and did have a main event level. Look, it just didn't transfer. He didn't find his audience. Nor did his audience find him. And so now we can all get to the, the, the beloved aspect that we love today, especially in wrestling, to point the fingers and say, whose fault was it? Whose fault? I get this question on, night. Hey, what talent did you sign that was the biggest disappointment? Oh, God. We, we, we love that, don't we? What's, who, who broke your heart? Who disappointed you? I got to know. God damn it, I got to know. No, you don't. <laughs> no, go, go back in your room, okay? Put the Kleenex up. Let's go. Diesel's
0: on the L- lifestyles of the rich and famous the week before survivor series, I, you know, I, I remember, you know, back in the eighties, this being a thing, but by 95, I didn't even know lifestyles of the rich and famous was still a thing. what did you think of diesel's appearance on the show?
1: Kevin always accounted for himself very well in that environment. Very talkative. Uh, I used to have him as a guest on my radio show, uh, wrestling with Jim Ross in, on WSB radio in Atlanta. Uh, and I told Dusty. I said, man, I got this, that big kid as we're training the, the bouncer at the, at the, uh, uh, cheetah, the gentleman's club, this son of a bitch can really talk, man dust. He's a good talker. I must've really worked because the next thing you know, he's Oz. <laughs> oh my So gosh. My recommendation didn't go very far, but the bottom line was even that, that era, uh, it was obvious that Nash had a great gift to gab and was a real good communicator in that regard. So I don't recall any appearances outside the ring that You're talking about here with this uh, uh, lifestyle show that he didn't do well on. That was his area, and he did. He, and he still does. Well, he's a he's a look at the look at the movies he's done. We t- we always talk about The Rock, and Batista, and Cena. You know, Kevin Nash has got a pretty good uh, scorecard too of films that he's done. So he was a good talker, and it it proved to be true over the years.
0: Let's talk about an interesting story that I don't think we've spent a lot of time talking about on any of my podcasts. Uh, Meltzer would report according to a story on the November 22nd New York Post. Federal prosecutors are investigating whether or not there was witness tampering and obstructed justice in the trial of Vince McMahon in July of '94. The U.S. Justice Department's Brooklyn office is reported as investigating television producer Marty Bergman and his wife, Laura Brevetti, who was the lead defense attorney in McMahon's trial of the allegation that Bergman offered a key witness in the trial between $250,000 and $400,000, according to government documents. What do you remember about the names, Marty Bergman and Laura Bravetti?
1: Uh, only that Brevetti was one of Vince's lawyers and she was married to this cat, I think, or dated him, or, or they lived together or whatever. I don't know if I, ever, I probably met Marty Bergman somewhere in passing, you know, uh, during that era, I stayed away from uh, a lot of that stuff other than to get download some events and to carry on my work back at the office. I didn't go to the trials. I didn't, you know, I had a job that was a full-time job that I didn't have the time to, you know, go sit in the gallery, go sit in the, in the, in the uh, courthouse and support my boss. Uh, he knew I supported him in that regard. My support was in the form of doing my job back in Stanford. So I didn't know, I didn't know, uh, Marty Bergman. Uh, I, I knew who he was. Uh, and of course, uh, Laura Brevetti, uh, his wife again, was uh, the lead defense attorney in this, this dog and pony show. So that's how that was my extent of it, you know? Uh, and I heard their name around all time. Look, the, 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 the Mac daddy of McMahon lawyers is Jerry McDivitt in sure. end of, end of story. So, uh, the, the Laura Brevetti's of the world, the Marty Bergman's of the world, uh, are Hammeneggers in my view, compared to, uh, uh. To, to Jerry McDivitt, uh, just, he's, he's the guy best lawyer in America in my view. But nonetheless, uh, I didn't know, him. I didn't know them. I knew they were, and I knew all these charges kept popping up here and there. It was like, uh, you know, like Vince goddamn Tony Soprano or somebody. Well, you know, I don't,
0: this whole story reads like a movie, like Bergman represented himself as a producer for 60 minutes, hard copy, a current affair an American journal as he's interviewing different witnesses all while withholding that he's at the time living with brevetti and working out of her office. And supposedly he even goes so far when he's with Emily Feinberg, who was McMahon's former administrative assistant, who I guess at the time was the government's key witness in the failed prosecution that Bergman offered her, you know, this lump sum of cash and supposedly uh, Jonathan Slack, who is the, uh, assistant U S attorney was interviewing witnesses about Bergman's conduct before the trial, because this guy apparently had maybe a checkered past where in 1981, uh, he was charged with bribery and tampering with public records. He was ultimately acquitted of that, but still this reads like a movie where in, in an effort to sort of get the dirt for his partner or wife or girlfriend or whatever's case he presents himself as a television producer to go talk to all the inter- to all the witnesses this is like legitimately a lifetime
1: movie well yeah our uh more heavier maybe an hvo movie
0: yeah
1: yeah quite frankly i don't uh it's not a film i can film i can it's not a family movie i can tell you that uh i i, I tried to disassociate myself from that conrad i really did i just didn't uh, you know i didn't have the I didn't have the uh, dog in the in the race in this deal, quite frankly. I know it sounds odd because it was Vince, but Vince, Vince and I were still talking a lot. Did you get this done? How's this? How's this working out? You know, what did you do here? What are you going to book on top in LA or whatever? Uh, that kind of thing. But we just did not get into that that dialogue. I remember, uh, I remember when I did my uh, any any testimonies that I did, any trials, and there were some that uh, I got prepared for trial by Jerry McDivitt. And that's where I learned more about the law and how to present yourself in a case than I ever dreamed I would in my lifetime coming from good old Eastern Oklahoma. So, uh, but, but I, I don't have any significant viable recollection of, uh, Laura Brevetti. She wasn't a very attractive woman, if that means anything. Uh, Marty Bergman, uh, was just a hustler and married to her and, uh, it's easy to pass yourself off as a TV uh, producer. All you gotta do is give a story idea to the, to the, Program, you're saying you're representing, if they use it or any parts of it, you're a producer. So it's kind of a loose little uh, thing to fall back on. But I, I always thought that all those charges were a little bit uh, embellished, to be honest with you.
0: Let's talk about the Survivor Series. We're finally here. You're doing commentary with Mr. Perfect and Vince on the show. How'd you like working with Kurt on commentary?
1: Well, he just came back. I've always said that Kurt could do anything he wanted to do in wrestling, he's that talented. Great baby face, great heel, great manager. Could have been a great broadcaster. He, he, he was like a lot of the guys. He had the Randy Savage issues of, I've got more matches left in me. Uh, I should be wrestling on top. I should be headlining WrestleMania. Uh, I'm not ready to do announcing, which is like this, you know, the, the Ventura step down from uh, being able to wrestle to getting into broadcasting. But, uh, uh, I had no issues working with, uh, with Kurt. I liked him. You know, he, we, he and I were in the same hall of fame class in 2007. Uh, I've always had great respect for his father, the late Eric, Larry, the ax henning, uh, son, Joe, uh, you know, uh, Joe's mom, all good people. So I had no issues working with Kirk. Uh, I don't know again, though. I don't know how fulfilled he was in that role at that time. And on that show, I thought he did a, a good job for his first time out and for working in the infamous three man booth, uh, with the chairman sitting in the middle seat.
0: Let's talk about the first match before we get to the actual um, pay per view. There is a dark match, smoking guns and the public enemy in the dark match. Public enemy really stood out to me here. This is a long time before their regulars. Just a tryout match. How would this have been arranged? They're over like Rover for Paul Heyman and ECW, but I didn't even remember they had a tryout match here until I did my research this week.
1: Yeah, and that's just a, a phone call to Heyman. Uh, quite honestly. Uh, and those guys were good. You know, they were, they, they had their act down. They were a good team. Uh, uh, and they had their act down. And also, uh, they were, they were over in that area. I mean, land, that, that whole Eastern seaboard was, a you know, had a lot of ECW fans and rightfully so. So they were over to start with, uh, good guys in that regard, but it was, it was a tryout match. And, uh, but we had interest in uh, public enemy, quite frankly, good interest. And it, they said, well, why did you beat them? Cause it don't matter. Yeah. It's a dark yeah. match. Who cares? Well, but even if it wasn't a dark match, what the shit? It's fiction. Well, he did a job. What a job. I want you to do a job. You little bastard. Go take out the trash.
0: Hey, let me ask you, well, why didn't it work out here? You're putting over their work, but they're not signed here. It's years before they actually other, run.
1: Uh, other issues, Conrad, other issues. Worry about other issues, and uh, the, and they they just the lifestyle issues, shall we say? We were leery of well, that once well, we started doing business with them.
0: Here's my question, I guess. You heard about that before they got a trial or they showed
1: up sort of well, fucked up? I don't know. We we even heard about it. Did you hear that the federal government might get high every now and then? Of course. We we you assume in that era, everybody's doing something. And if they aren't, then you got to then you're good. You skated one. But if they did and are doing something, at least you're not unprepared for it. You just don't know to the levels of what are they smoking weed? Is that their big deal? Are they are they are they eating uh, somas and Xanaxes like they're chiclets? That yeah, I don't know. So until you do business with somebody, uh, you don't know how deep their problems lie. And uh, so there was a situation there where. You know, and they may also have had issues with losing. They didn't I think that's why they did the job on the show. Are they going to take losing? Uh, they're going to be able to, to, to live with themselves if they do the honors, which just sounds stupid. To even have to, to even say, but it was, it was a fact and it still is a fact ongoing today, but some guys worried about losing and, and uh, their win loss record. So, uh, yeah, that, I think that's what it was. We just, the more we did business with them, the more, we got a little bit more worried about things, but they were a very good team. Uh, it's just, the it just wasn't going to work long-term for us, uh, with their out of ring, uh, uh, things that they were doing.
0: Let's get to our first match on the show. It's uh skip Rad Radford, Tom Pritchard, and the one, two, three kid taking on Marty Jannetty, Barry Horowitz, Bob Holly, and Hakushi. There's two late changes in the match. The one, two, three kid is going to replace the pco character of course here's jean pierre who had hernia surgery earlier in the week from a stomach injury at the Nassau Coliseum show on November 10th and holly is going to replace avatar uh the change isn't acknowledged on the show even with a storyline reason what happened was that holly was one of the wrestlers unhappy and ready to leave last week complaining about not getting enough dates and as a perk to keep him since pay-per-view payoffs for thousands of dollars. They put him on the show. So they called out snow up to tell him he was off the show because Holly had been with the company longer. That's directly from the observer. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah. True story. That was right. Uh, you know, Bobby was a loyal guy and a, and a real good hand could have a good match with anybody, baby face or heel. He paid his dues. He's a solid citizen for us. Uh, and. So yeah, he got, he got the nod and it, it solved that problem. And it certainly didn't help Al Snow's uh, situation. Uh, but you know, Al a veteran, you know, find a way out down there at OVW. Now training guys in Louisville does a great job, but that's how, yeah. I remember making the phone call was, those are not great calls. You, and you talk to guys like, you, look, like, you know, you, you get, you have some empathy here. Uh, so that's how we did. And somewhere down the road, you try to make it up to the talent, you know, give an extra booking here, or there, gone, whatever. Uh, so th- th- I remember that very well. I remember it very well. And, and, and I thought adding a kid to the match was a, a plus as well. One, two, three kid never had a bad match in my view.
0: Let's talk about the, uh, this cast of characters here. I'm just fascinated with, with how this comes together. Is this just, Hey, we've got all these guys we need to get on the show. We need to feel time. I mean, this just feels, I don't know, like the, the, the bar scene in star wars just fucking all over the place.
1: Well, considering I've never seen a star wars movie in my entire life, I don't know what you mean by that, but uh nonetheless, I'm thinking cluster somewhere. Uh you book the card, you have a roster in front of you. You have all the heels on one side of the page and the baby face on the other. You book the card, you mark the names out as you get them booked. So then you get certain you get a certain place on the card. Okay, who's left? how do we maximize the minutes of these talents that are are right now unbooked? And what kind of match can we put together? And we had the luxury of doing some unique things there because it was the survivor series. It was uh, a massive series of tag matches with some unlikely partners to try to add some mystery to it. It was the first survivor series that we'd ever produced, not on a Thanksgiving day or or Thanksgiving Eve, the first Sunday uh, survivor series. So, we wanted to be a little bit different, add a few wrinkles to it, and uh, you know, uh, Sean Michaels, our student Sean Waltman, had turned heel, and uh, you know, uh, adding him to the match just increases the quality of it because he's such a skilled performer. So uh, that's kind of how that ended up coming about. Just, do we have some angles that we hadn't followed up on, or are, are there more than one storyline that we could combine in this match to at least have some continuity in that regard? Uh, but that's kind of how that process worked. Not a great formula for it, but uh, to make it different and a compelling match, you got to make sure you got the talents in the ring. And nobody can argue with me and, and win the argument that adding Bob Holly and uh, Sean Waltman to a match is not going to do anything but make it better. Absolutely.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: How to think, Paula? While certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on thirty thousand dollars a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was a hundred percent. You need to make more money, make smarter choices, and build a better life. Afford anything wherever you listen.
0: I can't disagree with that. Uh, the match, by the way, goes eighteen minutes forty-five seconds. It gets three and three quarter stars. Um I guess we should mention after the match they go backstage and Ramon is going crazy, throwing a television monitor against the wall a few times, destroying it. Uh this is um all because he he misses misses a somersault leg drop off the top rope, and then Sid comes out. And Jannetty uses the rocker dropper, but kid gets his foot on the ropes behind the the ref's back as Ted DiBiase is distracting the ref. Sid snaps Jannetty's neck on the top rope and kid scores the pin. So that leads to, uh, razor just going nuts behind the scenes. What'd you think of the match? Do you watch it this time for the first time in a long time? And as a reminder, the one, two, three kid has just turned heel a few weeks prior, he was the referee for a razor Sid match and. When Razor put Sid in the Razor's edge, Kid pulled Sid down, which allowed Sid to power bomb him. And then he fast countered Razor and immediately took Ted DiBiase as his manager and thus joined the million dollar corporation.
1: A lot of good talent in the match. No doubt about that. Uh, thought it was, uh, when I watched it back, uh, Meltzer gave it three and uh and three quarter stars. That's a very uh, healthy rating from him. Uh, and, uh, so I, I, I concurred. I thought it was. I thought those guys put together a real good match, considering it was a, a classic example of a lot of left-handed booking. Uh, so that my hats off to the guys that were in the match because they they turned, uh, you know, they made they went from chicken shit to chicken salad there in that match, and I I, I thought I was pleasantly surprised. They did they did a real good job of that thing.
0: Let's get to the next match. We've got Bertha Faye and Aja Kong and Lioness Asuka and Tamako Watanabe. I screwed that up. Uh, taking on Alundra Blaze and some other Japanese ladies I cannot pronounce because I would butcher <laughs> their name. But they go 10 minutes. Uh, Meltzer says it came off as a total rush job because the referee counted two pinfalls that were supposed to be near falls these Japanese women, Melzer would say flew in on an 18 hour flight after doing uh, a show the day before they're obviously very tired, but still, uh, it's cool to see, you know, Aja Kong and Bertha Faye and the Lundra blaze. A lot of the folks that I'm very familiar with, or I've seen over the years, it's cool to see them here. And the match was what it was Two, mi- Uh, they don't have a ton of time in just 10 minutes for this many performers, but two and three quarter stars. Kong winds up hitting the backhand punch for the pen at two fifty and makes a hand motion about challenging for the women's title, although it really wasn't emphasized on the commentary. What do you think?
1: Uh the match was set up to to facilitate Aja Kong and uh, Alundra. Uh and we went about it in a very kind of a unique way as far as having so many uh Japanese women in the match. Uh I'm with Meltzer on the standpoint that, you know, uh logistically uh, we, we wish we had had them been able to have them here earlier. So they could have been more rested. They could have actually walked through the match a little bit, maybe even had it someplace uh, off Broadway before the pay-per-view on Sunday. Uh, but that was not in the cards. Uh, I like the theory of why we did it. Uh, I didn't think it was a great match because it didn't have a lot of time. There was really no story other than the story was supposed to be, uh, uh Alundra and Aja uh, getting ready for a, for a, a pay-per-view match. And I don't know that any of us in the process and uh, did a great job of, uh, laying the, setting the table for that deal. But nonetheless, it was add a little international flavor. Uh, it was a little different presentation of the women can't be judged on today's standards for women's wrestling, but at least I think the county is making an attempt to try to fill that void of having more women in more prominent positions because quite frankly, uh, these women, uh, were, you know, uh, some of the best in the whole world oh, without sure. a doubt. So, uh, and I don't think Kurt was really, uh, uh, invested in it. You know, uh, it's just, I don't, I didn't get the feeling that the company took that match seriously and I, which led eventually to Lunder leaving.
0: I want to mention Meltzer points that out. He says, Henning really got embarrassing on commentary since the idea here was to get Kong over as a monster threat to blaze his title and he kept trying to tell jokes with Vince McMahon, almost forcing himself to laugh as a response. You could tell that Kurt and Jim Ross were on each other's nerves in the booth from this point forward in the show. Fair to say.
1: Yeah. On our nerves. I guess that's good as anything. You know, I just, it was frustrating. You know, I, we, I I'm not big on humor. Uh, obviously people say, oh no, the old bastard's crabby, but you, you can really shit on a match by making fun of it, laughing at things that are not meant to be funny. Uh, so I, and I have a strange philosophy of the role that humor plays in a pro wrestling match to begin with. We can't be devoid of humor, cannot be devoid of humor, but humor should not be the foundation of which we build our matches.
0: I guess the WWF, you know, at least some folks in the company are trying to jump this women's division. And, um, it feels like the idea of bringing this talent in from Japan. Was a good idea, but it doesn't last long. I assume this is just based on travel, or is some of this the, the L- politics
1: or L- logistics? No politics, I'm aware just logistics. It wasn't practical, you know. You couldn't get them here for TVs, enough TVs to get them over. You know, uh, unfortunately, everybody does not have Meltzer's extensive uh, knowledge and feel for Japanese wrestling. There are fans more fans now than then, I would think, because. It's more available, uh, the availability of digital stuff, uh, and look at the influence of the, uh, Oriental, the Asian women on uh, AEW. It's just, it's a changing world. It's evolving. Who'd ever thought that you'd have women on a television show in prominent roles, uh, like uh, Riho who does not sick English uh, at one point in time, that would have been unheard of now it's a different ball game. So, uh, it's a different world in that regard, but you know, we wanted to do more with the females, but. Uh, you know, the the bottom line was, and eventually we did, eventually we made the mandate and Vince instructed me and gave me the go ahead to start hiring uh, athletic, athletically oriented, uh, sexy, attractive women. And I thought we did a good job of doing that, but the Japanese ladies in North America were not going to fill that void, but they're going to fill even a, a, another void, which is more athletic matches, hard hitting, et cetera, et cetera, strong style. So, uh, you know, it was good, like you said, Conrad, good idea on paper, just too hard to execute.
0: So hard that you do away with it, which is what I'm really fascinated with. I mean, I, this feels like the last hurrah for the women's division here, because a month later, Medusa is going to show up on nitro and throw the belt in the trash. So this is her last big pay-per-view, her last big moment. You know, we've talked about, you know, your frustration and, and just how difficult it was to, to build the division. What do you remember about, you know, this being the end of Medusa's run and how did that go?
1: Well, I was uh, sad that Medusa's run came to an end because she's now, out- she was, and still is an outstanding talent, great mind, sexy, athletic. She was what we thought, at least I thought that eventually we would build a division of females into being sexy, athletic women. And I think that they have taken that basic philosophy that we talked about then in the mid nineties. And that sort has manifested itself to what we see today. Uh, you have a plethora of very, very talented, athletic women in WWE. They've made it a, 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 a destination to stock their shells with these type of female athletes. And my hats off to them for that. I think that you're going to see eventually the same thing as it continues to evolve in AEW where looks are always going to be important for a television show to some shape, form, or fashion, but the bell to bell has got to be strong. And that's what we're continuing to build with with our deal, but uh, at AEW, but uh, she was perfect for what we wanted to go, but the company, Vince, others just didn't want to make the commitment to the broads. We can't let the broads take a spot away from the, from the guys. Now, Vince didn't say the broads, but there are those around him that, you know, Patterson didn't like the women. Hello, uh, my boy. So, uh, and, and others, it was, a lot of the old time producers there were not big fans of the women because their whole uh, vision and feeling toward women wrestlers were based on their relationship or lack thereof with Mula, who ran the whole damn thing at one time uh, in, in, in it for many years. So that was kind of the story there, Conrad. I, I think that Medusa was a, the, the great uh, foundation piece to build on. It didn't happen. It's too damn bad. But eventually, our vision that we had, and our little group had, has manifested itself to what we see today, and I'm happy for that.
0: Let's keep it moving here, and let's talk about the next match. It's gold dust and Bam Bam Bigelow. Goldust is going to get the win in eight eight minutes and 18 seconds with a bulldog headlock. And Meltzer would say Goldust ring entrance is supposed to be the heel equivalent of the Undertaker's, but it came off as long and boring. Meltzer would also say the two didn't work well together, although not from a lack of effort. For whatever reason, it's always felt like, maybe until very recently, uh, Dave Meltzer was not a big Dustin Rhodes fan, and I don't think he liked the Goldust character. Goldust had just debuted at the prior pay-per-view In Your House 4. He defeated Martin Giannetti, uh, and he's in the middle of an undefeated streak here, and you know, the Goldust gimmick was certainly revolutionary ahead of its time, whatever sort of descriptor you might want to use. what did you think of this match? You watched it this time for the first time in a long time.
1: It wasn't no, it wasn't a new bargain. It wasn't great. Uh, I do agree that both guys worked hard and that's where it starts with me. Always starts there. That's like, you know, I did the, uh, Justin Barroso did a story with me about why I liked the, uh, lights out match between Moxley and Omega. Uh, back at full gear, and it, the effort, their effort, their overwhelming effort and desire uh, to put on a great match in that strange, strange atmosphere of, of gimmicks and inanimate objects and so forth was uh, breathtaking. They worked so diligently in a very tough scenario that they helped create. That uh, I, my I, I had nothing but uh, respect for what they did. Did I? Am I a hardcore aficionado? Do I wish we had more of them? No, I'm not. I don't. I think the next time we have, we should have a lights out match or anything along these lines is maybe a year from now, but in any event, uh, uh, uh the, the goldust thing was, was ahead of its time. Uh, and, but I think also bam, bam for, I, I don't know if it was out of ring things or distractions or whatever it could be, cause Scott died, Scott Bigelow died way too early. Uh, that, but he kind of lost a little bit of his fire because at one time, there was no better super heavyweight in the business than Bam Bam Bigelow. Athletic look, you know the whole nine yards. But I think that sh- I think his uh, the ship had sailed on that deal. But Goldust was created to be polarizing. You know, it was you know, very po- polarizing. And, and when we put, and it's even going to be more so. This this was all in this. The attitude are coming along, the sexual character, this androgynous guy. Was he really androgynous? Was he gay? Was he straight? Was he bisexual? We had no idea. But it was a very unique presentation to the point, uh uh, and I don't think I I told this to Terry Reynolds one time and she was appalled, uh, probably appalled at me, I'm not sure. But the Vince had an idea to have to give her a prosthetic penis to wear under her in, in her uh, her uh, attire. So that was never talked about. Nobody ever said anything. It was never focused on. It was just there. And, and luckily, uh, cooler has prevailed and that never made air and it never even happened. She, did, she wasn't even aware of it, but there was a thought at one time about really going, well, we're going to go all the way. Let's go all the way. No, let's don't. go all the way. We're going to step over a cliff here. I don't want to fall off the cliff. We don't need to be falling off cliffs here. Let's get close to the edge, but not quite step over it. So I, I, I thought gold dust in the beginning was a way for Goldust and Vince to, to, to knock dusty. And I might be wrong on both those situations. I hope oh, I am, but I, I know it's not that way with, with you know, with Dustin now, he, you know, his father passed and, you know, he loves his, loves his dad. always loves his dad, but you know, there's friction. Can be friction between sons and fathers. Uh, so I, I always, I thought it was a unique deal and I, and when it got to its, uh, wheelhouse, it was a hell of a, hell of a gimmick a hell of a gimmick, and it's just the fact that we did, again, what do you do to keep your character fresh? What are you doing as a talent to make your presentation a little bit different? What are you bringing to the table uh, that that somebody's going to buy on the creative side to make your your character better? And I thought that we got to a certain level with Goldust, and we quit creating for that character, and that did not do it any favors whatsoever. But nobody can say that, I mean, Dustin lived it, he developed it, it, it was his, I, a lot of his, all that stuff was his. Yeah. He had no problem, uh, being, being, being this character. Uh, I, I, I have, I, I like gold dust, the presentation of gold dust. I wasn't as high on it then. Cause I didn't know where we were going. And are we going to go somewhere that we get back ourselves to a corner that we can't, uh, book ourselves out of that never really happened. We just kept, quit, quit booking the creative for it period. And, uh, that killed it.
0: Next up is, uh. Something that I can't believe actually was a real match. It's undertaker and Fatu and Henry Godwin and Savio Vega taking on Jerry Lawler and Hunter Hearst Helmsley and King Mabel and Isaac Yankum. My goodness. What a cast of characters star and a half is what it gets. They go 14 minutes and 21 seconds. This, this 1995 WWF roster is something else, man. You got to see this one for the first time in a long time. Uh, I'm curious to get your take. Ultimately, Mabel just takes off and is counted out after the match undertaker gives Mo who's at ringside, a choke slam, uh, Meltzer would say not much for wrestling, but the booking was good. Um, I don't know, man, this just feels a little out of place. What'd you think?
1: Well, it was a way that the match was booked to get undertaker back in the picture, he'd been injured. He came back with a mask on his face is all broken up. Thanks to, uh, uh, Mabel. Uh, and the, and Vince was convinced that he could get Mabel over and Mabel was going to be a this massively popular heel. The thing about having a, uh, a heel that size, you can only use them sparingly. Uh, they're not really built to feed a comeback. Uh, 400 pound guys don't get up and feed and get up and feed to, to a baby faces, come back. Like they, they have to, not that they should, they have to. And we had a, you know, four or 500 pound baby, a heel and, and Mabel that could not physically do that. Uh, I, I, you know, while well, earlier I was thinking after watching this show, you know, uh, Nelson had a, had a unique look and it was a, such a sweetheart of a guy. A, I heard this story that uh, Nelson was a low key go to his room at night, you know, watch a little, little, uh, spanked vision, according to the boys. And I never was tagged along on that journey, but according to the boys, uh, Nelson was a aficionado of all the good porn in the hotel, in the hotel, uh, Movie systems, and that he liked them so much that there was a doctor in Pennsylvania that was giving the guys when it first came out Viagra, it was samples, and so the guys are getting these little blue pills called Viagra at that time, and uh, not the good stuff now uh, like Blue Chew, but Viagra. Uh, and uh, Nelson would take Viagra to watch Spangter Vision in his hotel room. I bless the guy; he never got any trouble. <laughs> he was never out of his room. He'd order pizzas in his room and do what he does. So I, I, uh, always thought that was an interesting thing for this big top heel, but he was never going to be the top heel cause he couldn't hold up for the travel too big, uh, too hard to get him here to there. And, uh, but a swell, a sweetheart of a guy, no doubt about that, but the match left-handed booking there to, to, to reintroduce, bring back, uh, taker. And if that was the reason, then that's good enough.
0: And with this cool mask and, and him getting the return, it's probably the biggest pop on the show. Uh, he hits the tombstone on Isaac Yankum and gets a pin. He does the same for Jerry Lawler. Uh, Helmsley tries to run, but he's slammed, and that's it for him. And I mean, undertaker is just mowing everybody down. And next up is an interesting idea. It's a wild card match. It's Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson and Davey boy Smith and Sid, and they're going to take on Yokozuna, Owen Hart, Dean Douglas and razor Ramon. Meltzer would say, this is a good match, particularly when Hart was in with either Michaels or a brief spot with Smith. He says Ahmed is pretty green, but they're going to push him to the moon. He wasn't as over as much as you would think, given his recent push on TV. But this match is part of the process to get him over. And he says Yokozuna is a great worker for his size, but he's got to drop weight because at this point he's got no stamina. And he, and,
1: says, and he was also being uh, questioned about getting... Uh, his uh, his license from some athletic commissions uh, because of blood pressure and uh, his morbid obesity. As they, a doctor told me one time, he said, "This guy, this, you're, this big uh, kid, has got this this morbidly obese. It's not going to last forever. You better get him on a weight loss program." And we tried. God God knows we tried. Uh, but uh, I think, uh, and of course, uh, Ahmed Johnson was a was a head nod away from, beca- from being called Buck Johnson. Thanks to the cowboy, uh, but Ahmed was the name, uh, but there was a lot of different agendas in that matchup, but uh, I didn't dislike it. Uh, I thought that as Dave mentioned, anytime you got Sean in the match, uh, and you got Owen in the match and bulldog to a degree as well, uh, you know, you're going to have some good stuff. So, uh, it was just a left-handed match, a lot of star power. Kind of look like a little all-star game, but when you have multiple agendas, and you're trying to, you know, it's, sometimes it's very difficult to create a focus and a feeling for the match. Uh, I'd forgotten about that match, quite honest. Honestly, but I did like uh, I did like how it was structured and put together, because it it was star laden, and he, we did have high hopes for some of these guys. Unfortunately, Ahmed Johnson just never made it. Uh, so, uh, but you know, Yokozuna couldn't quit eating. God bless him. love Rodney, but he just. I told him one time, Roddy, you're going to be, you're going to impair yourself. You're going to eat yourself out of the league, man. And that's something. And he was extraordinary. I don't know if I ever saw a guy that was even close to his size that has had uh, Yoko's natural timing, and a sweetheart of a guy too. Sweetheart of a guy just could not control those urges and uh, of eating. And it's just a, it's a damn shame, quite frankly, that he he lost his life because he couldn't control his appetite.
0: The finish would come when Sean would give Yokozuna a super kick. And then Ahmed would pin him with a splash three and a half stars. We should mention Ahmed has debuted not long before this, uh, he's going to run into the ring and body slam Yokozuna, which at the time he was, uh, I think like the second guy to do so the first being Luger back in 93. And we've talked about, Ahmed a little bit here in the past and you know, the Vince really liked the look and, uh, for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. Let's talk about the main event, but first let's t- explain sort of how we got here. On the October thirtieth, Raw, the WWF president, Gorilla Monsoon, signs the match here between Diesel and Brett. And these guys have met twice before. King of the Ring, nineteen ninety-four, and then Royal Rumble, nineteen ninety-five. Uh the ninety-five Royal Rumble is actually uh the first pay-per-view world title defense uh, of Diesel, and it's gonna end in a no-contest when Shawn Michaels, Owen Hart, and Backlund all interfere. Both of those matches ended in DQs, which Mm. is why now we have a no DQ stipulation for the rematch. Uh, Brett and diesel are going to go 24 minutes and 54 seconds. Uh, both men are going to uncover a turnbuckle at the start of the match. Diesel's going to dominate the first seven and a half minutes, just really destroying Brett. Brett's going to start working the comeback and he's doing it strategically working on diesel's knee, trying to use the figure four, but diesel's making the ropes. He's going to go for the sharpshooter and diesel's going to kick him, kick him over into the unprotected turnbuckle. We're telling a great story here with Brett coming back and still working on diesel's knee, ramming it into the post. And he's going to try for several minutes, uh, with diesel to get this, these different, uh, submission moves on. And he just can't eventually diesel breaks free and does a great job selling the knee and, um, (laughs) Meltzer would say Jim Ross had a Vinnie Vegas. Hallucination when Diesel dropped Hart's face on the top turnbuckle, calling it Snake Eyes, which of course was his finishing maneuver as many Vegas in WCW. And Brett makes a comeback, ramming Diesel into the unprotected turnbuckle, flying clothesline, bulldog off the top, and a leg sweep, but all near falls. He misses a plancha, starts selling the knee again. And here's the big moment. When everybody remembers this, it's been in a million highlights while they're on the apron. Diesel shoulder blocks Bret Hart off the apron where he flies through the Spanish announce table. I think this is the first time this is done like this. And Hugo Savinovich starts selling his knee as well. Diesel then throws Brett in the ring, signals for a jackknife. He stalls for a second, and it appeared in the storyline that he was asking the ref to stop it rather than have to give the jackknife, but the ref said no. As he goes to do the move, Bret Hart nails him with the inside package, the inside cradle, the small package, whatever you want to call it. And diesel then jackknifes Bret Brett twice after the match and beats up several referees. So three and a half stars, but Bret Hart is now your world champion, but he doesn't do it with the sharpshooter. He does it with the uh, small package playing on the, the softer side of diesel that didn't want to lay the power bomb on him. I thought this was a great story. Probably the best match diesel ever had in my opinion, in the WWF. And the spot where he goes flying through the table was ECW esque and, and maybe ahead of its time, because this is before we're breaking the Spanish announce table every Sunday.
1: Yeah. I thought, uh, the finish is perfect. You know, Kevin kind of relaxed, exhaled. He, he had obviously thought he had Brett in control. Brett used an old tried and true wrestling hole to, to put the shoulders down for the three count, uh, really well told, well done story. Kevin was concerned going into it that it would not help him to lose in that fashion. Uh, but I think he, he obviously uh, heard, heard explanations and how it was going to be sold and so forth. Uh, and, uh, and he did it. So I thought it was well done. Uh, I, I don't remember a diesel match being any better. Uh, but again, you get red heart in there and you know, you guys can figure this out. Let me know what you, what you say on uh, at Twitter at J R S V B Q. But, When's the last time, what, what was the last bad match you saw Bret Hart in? Right. I, I can't remember one, quite frankly, because Bret had the ability to put his skill sets aside, to customize the match, uh, to highlight Kevin Nash's strengths, and to conceal his weaknesses. You don't want the match to be too fast-paced, because that was not Kevin's forte. It's not going to be a flying or, or uh, engagement. So, uh, either, so I thought Brett just did a great job of captaining and, and steering the ship on that. I thought Kevin did a real cool job of following what Brett was laying out. Uh, and it didn't hurt, uh, uh diesel whatsoever. We got a wrestling finish in, it came as a surprise and now it was delivered. I don't know what more we could have done based on the skill sets of both guys. So, uh, I was, I, I enjoyed watching that match again, quite honestly. Uh, it was, it was, it was all, it was over. It started and was over before I was ready for it to be over. So that much meant I was enjoying it.
0: If you're going to watch one match on this card, I strongly recommend it be this one. One of the better matches of the year. Uh, it's it's probably underrated for my taste because I just yeah. thought it told such a great story. It really shows uh, the strength of Bret Hart as a performer. And don't get me wrong, I still think it's Diesel's best match. And Diesel had a lot to do with that as well.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, they they uh, respected each other. You know, I don't know philosophically in all areas of pro wrestling that they, they're on the same page. Probably weren't, to be honest with you. But when it came time to bell to bell and putting on a product that was main event worthy for the championship, uh, both those guys uh, stepped up and did a hell of a job there. So it just proves again, you know, number one, Kevin Nash was not nearly as bad as people like to say uh, here so many years after the fact. Uh, and Bret Hart, uh suffice it to say, was as good as there as ever been or ever will be uh, in the ring telling stories. He didn't hurt anybody. He never hurt anybody. He told believable stories. I can say this, and wrestlers should think about this. Never have a match where you say, Man, I wish I had done that because I think I lost the audience. Uh Brett never had a match where I think he did something so outrageous, so unbelievable, uh, and so eye rolling that he lost his audience. And I think that was a, a, a great evidence of that, uh, in this match here that, uh, Brett rose to the occasion, took a guy that didn't have Brett's skill set and brought him up and they had a match that as we've both agreed was probably one of the better outings of diesel's career and a hell of a match for Brett as well.
0: We should mention, I didn't realize that this was the case until you, you said it earlier in the show and as we've been recording the show, I went and double checked. You're exactly right. Diesel's run here. That's coming to an end here is the longest of the 1990s. 51 weeks is how long he was champion. Nobody else would touch him. And I'm talking about from Hulk Hogan, to stone cold, Steve Austin, nobody else had 51 consecutive weeks. So while the narrative has been out there that all lowest drawing champion in history to Jim's point, who was drawing at the time business was down across the boards, but in addition to that 51 weeks, quite a little feather in the cap,
1: here's a a lot of, a lot of pressure. I'm sorry, Conrad, a lot of pressure to be the show closer to carry the banner for 51 weeks because whoever the champion is, for some reason is automatically willed to be the culprit. When things are not good, it goes to one person. And as we all know, if you stand back and think about it, the success or failure of a company or of a match is rarely, uh, one guy's, uh, one guy's attaboy or one guy's fault. It just doesn't work that way. And so I'm glad that we we were able to talk about that with uh, regarding Kevin. And Kevin's a good friend of mine. I I, I got a, again starting him uh, doing talking and on my radio show back when nobody ever heard of him, I thought it was uh, it always helped him in his career. We've been friends ever since. So, but you know we don't we don't we've never always agreed philosophically on wrestling, uh, but that doesn't mean he's wrong or I'm wrong. It just means we have different philosophies. And so so what?
0: Let's talk about what Brett said of this match. He he wrote had told me diesel wasn't cutting at his champion, making the excuse. It was because of his elbow, but i always thought that diesel was as good as dead after he worked with Sean back at WrestleMania 11, I suggested to Vince that Kevin needed sympathy and I know how to get it for him. I could beat him for the belt by using an idea that came to me while watching Sabu and ECW crashing through tables. It was a new finish designed around dropping the belt back to Kevin at WrestleMania 12, as I explained to Vince. He frantically scribbled it down in a big black book on August 6th. Vince called to tell me he wanted me to win the belt at survivor series by crashing through a table. I listened to Vince. Tell me my finish as if I'd never heard it before. <laughs> the only thing I could come up with was that he'd read what he'd written down on his black book and somehow convinced himself. It was actually his idea. All I could do was hope that he'd write down all of my ideas from then on, but it was Sean that wanted me to drop the belt at WrestleMania, not Kevin. Do you have any problem with that and i thought about it despite how the boys felt about him sean was a hard worker and had paid his dues as far as i could see of course i had no problem with it the timing was perfect i could go right into my sheriff role filming all summer long and reappear just in time for SummerSlam 96 so i love you know that that little tidbit that this is an idea for a finish that he gave vince and then vince pitched it to him and it's, it's referenced here in plain as day that he's borrowing the idea from Sabu and ECW crashing through tables. There were different times where you guys flirted with the idea of bringing Sabu in, including a couple of rare appearances. I think once, even in Royal Rumble, why was Sabu not signed before he actually was?
1: Yeah. You, know, you know, Conrad, I don't, I don't know if there's a specific reason, uh, you know, uh, it could be a lot of things. I don't know the reason I don't know the reason. I don't have an answer for you. Sorry, I'm not going to mix some shit up just to have an answer for somebody. JR said this about Sabu. I don't know. Uh, he has some, he has some, some can some cameos in and out. Maybe uh, it was a fact that I'm just, hey, I'm, I'm spitballing here. The fact that Vince didn't think that we could do enough matches that were Sabu's specialty to make it worth everybody's while. I don't know, but he was a unique attraction. Sabu's another guy you didn't, that you didn't need to see every week. And, uh, uh, cause he was an attraction kind of a guy, unique, different, no different than his uncle, the, the uh, great Sheik uh, Eddie Farhat. You didn't want to, you didn't need to see him every week in these territories, uh, but, uh, l- less is more for a lot of guys. So I don't know the answer. Uh, I wish I did, but, uh, he could probably done well there. But again, the structure, uh, and, and fitting within the structure, uh, was challenging for some guys and it just may have been thought that he would not have been a great long-term investment. Hell, I don't know. It certainly was not. So everybody at ECW loyalists can understand this. It was not the fact that Sabu could not work. He was very talented. So when you got somebody that's very talented and they don't get hired, they don't get their break. You got to look elsewhere. You see he's either they're on the wrong side of the aisle politics. Somebody's got a, a, a blue chew on him, you know, a little hard on, uh, whatever. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, I always enjoyed his work. He was unpredictable. Could he have been an everyday player? I, I guess he could have, but it just didn't work out. So uh, I'm just thinking, l- look elsewhere other than his bell-to-bell stuff because his bell-to-bell work was excellent and unique. Is He had his own style. He did his own things that was not great for long-term career advancement because of the way he was he was abusing his body. But, you know, you never know what lingering effects that's going to have. So there are a lot of little things that just added up to where they're not going to make commitment uh, to to bring Sabu in and it would've been interesting to see how that would have worked if it happened. Do
0: you think by November of 95, you guys already, already had an inclination that Kevin Nash wasn't happy and that he was going to explore his options financially,
1: uh, probably wasn't a front of the line topic, but, but it was discussed, you know, Kevin's a great businessman. Kevin's done an amazing job of investing, uh, and, and getting prepared for his future. And that would include uh, looking for new money, bigger money, less work. You know, when you're the champion for 51 weeks, that means you're on the road an awful, awful lot, folks. Anybody can do the math on that deal. And to be able to go somewhere and make more guaranteed money for less days away from home is something that everybody has to consider. Uh, I I say the same thing about AEW now. Uh, There's going to be more talents that are going to want to come to AEW because of the, the lifestyle that it allows you to have because of the days that you're going to be able to be at home with your family, your kids, your wife, whatever the, or husband, whatever the case may be. Uh, so uh, I, it's a, just a good schedule. So I think Kevin's always looking for uh, the, the good investment, the good gig. Smart guy. He's much smarter than his peers. And a lot of guys, that's the reason a lot of guys didn't like Kevin. He was smarter than they were, and they knew it because he was say, I'm saving this money. I got this deal. I got this, you know, retirement thing, whatever he was a smart guy. We've talked about, uh, he's a stock guy and I've got stock advice from Kevin Nash on many occasions.
0: Well, we're going to need some advice about, uh, the next night on raw. This is, uh, we're going to cover it another time, but just as a reminder, the day after this pay-per-view is where Owen Hart would give Shawn Michaels an Insiguri, Shawn goes down, they play it like a real angle. It got lots of attention to see Shawn Michaels collapse, and uh, we'll talk about that on a sean episode. Let's put a bow on Survivor Series here, though. The Wrestling Observer reader poll said it was uh, obvious to them that Bret Hart and Diesel was the best match on the card. They thought the worst match, far and away, was Goldust and Bam Bam Bigelow, and they gave the show twelve point eight percent thumbs in the middle, thirteen point one percent thumbs down. And 74.1% thumbs up, overwhelming thumbs up for survivor series 95. And when you end with a bang, like such a great match in the main event, it's easy to see why it got a thumbs up. Where would you put this one? Jim thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thumbs up. Absolutely. Thumbs up. I, uh, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by some of the talents that we had on the roster, how, how some of them were being utilized. I like the fact that we started changing things after that. In regard to sticking our toe in the water with the women, and knowing that we want to go forward with this in some shape, form, or fashion, which we eventually did, and the ladies that that our team, my team, in talent relations were able to hire and train and bring into the to the fold, uh, started that whole women's uh, uh, revolution, so to speak. I love that fact. Uh, I love the fact that we started getting younger. We you started giving the guys another chance. Nowhere in this whole thing did anybody say anything about Stone Cold or the rock, they weren't here, they weren't there. And so we needed, we need, we needed more of that. Now, nobody thought that well, we hire Austin rock. all your issues. So when we hired Austin rock, Austin was coming off an injury and rock hadn't didn't had, had not yet had his first match. So that was, that, that, that stuff just happened. We got lucky, uh, with the right place, right time. with some very, very talented dudes. And so, but you know, th- this was just a, so many, you look back at these cards and that's what the cool thing about watching this show, folks. Go back and look at the, at the respective careers of a lot of guys and where they went or didn't go uh, after events such as this. Nobody can say that we didn't have a good uh, roster of talent. A lot of people can make a good argument that, we, that those talents, some were not being utilized as well as they should. Too many agendas, too many politics, too many who's on this side of the aisle, who's on that side of the aisle. And that's one of the things that makes wrestling, uh, the underbelly of wrestling, not so attractive. Uh, but we can't say that these guys weren't talented and they didn't have the effort and, and the special this show. So I, I'm a big believer that you, you, you go back and look and see, where did we make some mistakes? What could we have done differently? But the bottom line is you've got to continue to develop new stars and you got to continue to give the audience something fresh. And that's what we were desperately trying to do. Diesel and Brett were not fresh, but they were the best we had at that time. So, uh, steps are being taken to make that happen. Hey. Triple H made his Sur- Survivor Series debut on this show. Become a pl- become a pl- player. It is a player. It is a Hall of Famer. So it's just interesting to go back and see where these guys were, their bodies, their you know, their youthful looks and all that stuff. Uh it's just it's kind of fun nostalgically to go back in time and that's what's so much fun about Grill and Jr. is the fact that I also get to go back and look at these matches for the first time. This one, first time I've seen it since nineteen ninety what, six? The way we are, at 96 here,
0: 95. So 95, yeah. yeah. Maybe you watched oh. it early 96 on Coliseum.
1: <laughs> Maybe, probably not.
0: Probably not. But here's what we know for sure: we're doing Jerry Lawler next week. Your great close personal friend of decades, he'll be the, our our topic and our subject for the next grill and Jr. And then we're let's gonna... get
1: let's get some questions on, on the king. Yeah, let's do let's that. Ask, let's ask some people some questions. That let uh, uh, Dave Silva, aka bull Ramus, collect all these questions. And let's, so add that to our format, cause there's gotta be questions that fans have regarding the King. His career is too long, too distinguished to not have questions over the years, whether it be his Memphis run, his AWA run, uh, his, uh, Florida run Atlanta, you know, all those places he was at. And then of course his long time run from 93 till this very day, uh, on, uh, in WWE. So hit us with your questions. And let us know what you're thinking because there's a lot of ground to cover with with Lawler. So uh, hopefully you'll have some good questions and we can uh, address them for you.
0: Check it out. It's on social media. Twitter specifically is where we're going to look for most of our questions. It's going to be at Jr. Grilling. That's at Jr. Grilling. On December the 5th, we're going to do the winner of a poll. So stay tuned next week. You'll also see a poll. That poll will include. Uh, Umaga December to dismember Bischoff in WWE and in your house. Degeneration X also coming up. We've got Armageddon, 2004 TLC, 2009 Starcade 88. We'll talk about Brett returning to the WWE in 2010. We're going to do something kind of fun in January. We're going to have Tony Schiavone watch the episode where Mick Foley wins the world title. And we're going to have Jr watch the finger poke of doom, uh, and to get their takes on the opposite show that night, I think will be fascinating. We'll also cover JR's last Clash of the Champions, which is Clash 22. We'll cover the Royal Rumble from 2000 and 2005. And of course, Clash of the Champions 10 is on deck. That's when Sting got kicked out of the Horseman. Lots of fun stuff coming your way here on Grill and JR. Hit the subscribe button, tell a friend, leave us a five-star review if we think we've earned it. And don't forget to check out JimRossShirts.com. We've got some brand new shirts this week, including... Suicida El torpedo or a suicide <laughs> Dave, a suicide dive back in my day. But my favorite is the jolly bastard, ugly Christmas sweater style shirt available in multiple colors. There's lots of fun stuff on there. It's the best and easiest way to support the show. Go check it out right now. You can get this shirt in black. Of course, you can also get it in red and green just in time for Christmas. It makes a great stocking stuffer for the wrestling fan in your life. Check it out. Jim Ross shirts.com. Until next week, he's at JR's BBQ. I am a, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad and we are out of time. We'll see you next week. Right here on Westwood one for grilling JR with the voice of wrestling.
1: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together.